You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's show. Welcome to today's testing one, two. Okay, welcome to today's radio show. This is Rick Franzi, your host. For some reason, I didn't hear it in my headphones, but you heard it on the radio show, which is great. I'm excited. We have two great guests today. Our first guest is Dr. Mira Farka. We're going to be talking about the latest economic forecast put out by Cal State, California State University Fullerton in just one minute. But before we go there, I'd like to let you know that this business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. And Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live exclusively on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, many of you do. Uh, we exceeded 18,000 downloads last month for the second month in a row, which we appreciate. We encourage you to consider listening live during our broadcast times. Our show is brought to you by our sponsors, Brandman University, Center Club, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, S&H Rubber, Succession Strategies, Tone Software, and UPS Protection. Golf for the shows help you, our listening audience of CEOs who are running middle market firms, to improve your decision-making skills. And we're going to do that today as it relates to the economy and the forecast. Dr. Farka, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Rich. It's always fun to be here. It's nice to have you back in the studio. Those loyal listeners know that Dr. Farka comes with us occasionally, not nearly enough in my opinion, to share <laughs> the insights that she and Dean Peary have put together along with the council on the economy. So let's start very simply. Your latest economic forecast and update was titled 2015 Breaking Bad. Or breaking free. Tell me why you decided on that name. It was catchy. No, <laughs> it actually it actually had sort of a uh, it encapsulated both the idea about the economic forecast and where the economy is headed, and is also merging in with one of my favorite shows, which is Breaking Bad. That is, okay. so it's, it kind of helped. We were trying to get to the point that the economic forecast going forward is a bit more nuanced than what we've seen so far. So it has both the breaking bad and the breaking free uh, part of the story. And I'm sure we'll, uh, over our conversation here today, we'll, we'll, we'll get to talk about both sides of the good and the bad. Right. Um, in terms of the breaking free part of the story, we okay. see the next couple of years sort of taking off or at least being better than what this sort of a sluggish uh, economy that we've seen over the last five years, the type of recovery that no one seems to love. Right. And well, that's good news. Uh, that's the good news. That's the breaking free part. Uh, we do think things are getting better. We see, again, we're not speaking about t- coming back to a 6 to 8% growth rate like we had back in the 80s, but we're talking about the 3% range where we want to be. That's That used to be our normal, right? but it hasn't been. Well, a year ago in our conversation, y- you suggested that data that the data might have suggested that we might be looking at a sub-3% GDP for the foreseeable future, which was problematic, right? right? 2.5%, right. something like that. was, And it doesn't sound like a lot, 25 to 3%, but we were talking about the GDP number. That's a huge difference, right? Well, it's not only that. Just to put things in perspective, I mean, people, I mean, when you t- tell somebody, well, what's the huge difference between growing sort of 2% versus 3%, in a year-to-year basis, perhaps, you know, it doesn't seem that big of a difference. You, you basically aggregate that over a period of, say, 20 years, which is not that much. Right. That means that you have a drop of, of standard of living about 25% compared wow. if you drove to 2% compared to 3%. So aggregation and cumulative growth matters quite a bit when you look at even a slightly longer horizon, like 10 to 20 years. Okay. So the 2% growth rate that we mentioned last year, that's still in the cards. The problem, in, and that's where the breaking bad part of the story comes in, uh, that we are sort of in the midst of a... Uh, we're looking at the new environment where the demographic forces, where the debt and issues that we've sort of piled on for a long time are sort of weighing on us, and they're probably going to conspire for uh, for us having a 2 to 2.25% two growth rate in the longer term. Mm. In the short term, we're looking at 3 uh, Short term, 2 to 3 years, we're looking at 3%. Right. And, and that's what we're, we're talking with Dr. Mira Farka. And that's one of the things I want to talk with you before I let you leave today is that you actually had a bifurcated forecast. You have a near-term right. forecast, which is positive, and then a longer term where these scars right. are, are going to manifest themselves even more. Two of the permanent scars that you highlighted in your report were lower business investment right. and negative effects from long-term unemployment. Right. So can you explain 
why these, how these effects are, are going to, how these are going to affect the economy in the future, the lower investment and the sure. Uh, so, so there are two separate subjects. One is, and again, in terms of a longer term trend, what matters for long term is demographics as well. And you know, we are dealing with an aging economy, so that's part of the issue. But also, some of the issues that we are that we're that we're facing going forward is precisely the fact that we may have been permanently scarred from this recession, and the two factors that you mentioned are exactly the main ones. Businesses have invested much less since the recovery than they did in the past. Some of this has to do with the fact that the animal spirits are not there quite. I mean, it was a very severe recession and it was a very slow recovery. But some of it also has to do with the fact that the policy response has not been quite there. I mean, the Fed has done quite too much. Fiscal policy has done, uh, has, has been more than I would have liked, but not in the right places. And we don't need more, more sort of more more money. What we need is more structural reform that right. would that would regenerate the labor market, that would actually sort of bring back the animal spirits. So business investment has been lacking. The second thing, as you mentioned, is the long term unemployment, and and part of the reason that it's problematic is because we've had nearly, in, in our estimation, about three million workers who have permanently left the workforce, and these are prime age workers from 25 to 54 years old that are no longer coming back and probably either either have opted out of the labor force and are, are choosing disability benefits or some other kind of thing. Long-term unemployment is a problem because it's only about 10 to 15 percent of people come back to the workforce after they've gone, for they've left it for two to three years. Oh, so, okay. It's huge. So that, in reading the report, that, for me, was the most chilling takeaway. It is. That, and they're males. Right, right. A disproportion of males right. with low skills and low education. Low education, absolutely. So, yeah. so that 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 is a drag, and I, I don't want to be heard the wrong way. These are human pe- right. beings who want to create a, a worthwhile life for themselves, but without the skills and the education, the jobs aren't there. That puts a great strain on the economy. Oh yeah, and and again on the economy, on their own lives. I mean, people have to adjust aspirations downward. These were good, and we're talking about here construction jobs, manufacturing jobs that are no longer going to be there, and something has to be done. That's where the policy needs to be focused. Right. That's where education, businesses, and local government need to work together to find a way to retrain these people. It's a human tragedy in a sense. Yeah, it's a lost uh, generation. It's right? a lost generation. I mean, 25 yeah. years old, if you're, if you're working, if you're underemployed or unemployed on right. disability, you could live into your 80s or 90s. Right, and, and, and exactly. And then, you know, human capital depreciates over over, over time. Right. Your skill, your set of skills that depreciate. And I understand that the challenges are huge. I mean, it's very hard to sort of turn, turn construction workers into nurses overnight. And I mean, bring bring up nurses because healthcare has been doing very well in terms right. of employment. And it's going to be growing. But there is got to be a way to find, to retrain them and give them the proper tools so that this kind of generation doesn't become sort of a lost generation and doesn't right. stay with us. And, th- and that's part of the reason why we think the longer term is a bit more problematic. Right, because they might have been the primary breadwinner in, right. a, in a, even a two-income family. Right. And, and now they're not. So, right. I mean, it's just... That when I read through that, I thought, "Wow, that is, that should be a policy discussion that, is, that we could all figure out." That is, we've got to put some wood behind that arrowhead. Right. I mean, that's that's why we even speak in the report a little bit. But it was part of our conference. We touched on this, and I did mention uh, the things you need to do is not printing more money or sort of do more fiscal support or monetary support. You need to restructure this pro- social programs like the disability benefits, where. Uh, Perhaps, you know, incentivize people to go back to work. Perhaps, you know, you subsidize them their wages by working. Perhaps the businesses cannot quite get, give them enough wage. We talk about minimum right. uh, wage. The minimum wage is a mandate. I, you know, it's best to do it so that, you know, the government comes in with a social program where you actually make up the rest if, if the minimum wage is not where they should be. And that makes more sense to me than just giving money on disability benefits, which have long-term negative consequences for lives of people. Right. All right. Well, we're talking to Dr. Mira Farkin, as you can tell from our first segment. There's a lot of content to be discussed in a short amount of time. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely. 
ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. I'm speaking with Ash Patel, President and CEO of Commercial Bank of California. Ash, can you tell our audience what's different about Commercial Bank of California? What we want to be is a Commercial Bank of California of Orange County to be the premier bank in Orange County that is solely dedicated to what we call human capital innovation. What I mean by that is we want to be a bank that is solely dedicated to the well-being of our employees. We believe our employees' happiness will translate into customers' happiness, which will then translate into shareholder happiness. However, most companies put shareholders' interests first before they put employees' interests first. Therefore, we want Commercial Bank of California to be one of the few banks in Orange County that is solely dedicated to the well-being of our employees first. We believe we have happy employees, we'll have happy customers, which will translate into happy shareholders and a greater return for our investors. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or visit us on the web at www.cbcal.com or at our new headquarters at 19752 MacArthur Boulevard in Irvine. Today's businesses are embracing voice over IP telephones and unified communication desktop technologies to more effectively communicate and collaborate with their customers, suppliers, and colleagues. The Reliatel management software from Tone Software Corporation helps organizations of all sizes manage their communications technologies to ensure great voice quality and better levels of service and reliability throughout their business. Through Reliatel, you'll gain higher return on investments from VoIP and unified communications technologies while lowering the associated operational support and maintenance costs. Learn more. Visit www.tonesoft.com or call 800-833-8663 for information on Reliatel by Tone Software, the solution for quality business communications. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm very excited to have Dr. Mira Farka here in the studio. Uh, I always enjoy the time she spends with us. We get a lot of great uh, knowledge from her and information, and I highly recommend everyone attend not only the annual conference, which tends to be in October, but the mid-year update, which usually is in the spring, April, May time April, frame. Yeah. April time frame. Yes, uh, thanks, it's great. It's great content, and it's well attended every year. So hopefully the Orange County community is listening to me. If you want to link with me on LinkedIn, I'm Richard Franzi. If you want to follow me on Twitter, we're CEO Peer Groups. And if you want to follow our podcast automatically, just open up your podcasting software type Critical Mass Radio Show. We do three shows a week. <clears throat> You'll get automatic updates uh, from us. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to come back and say, follow on the conversation. We were talking about the national issue right. of 25 to 55 year old males who are who are way not participating in the economy. We also see that here in Orange County. Yes. Uh, not just that age group, but it, 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 the participation rate. People are not coming back to the workforce. Right. And and we were sort of off camera or off microphone talking about, is that a choice or is that a, you know, it's kind of a chicken or the egg right, situation. Right, so, right. so I'd like to have a balanced conversation about that because I... I'll give you my bias. I think people would work for mm-hmm. for a workable wage if they had the jobs and the skills to do yeah. the job. Yeah. So, no, so no, I think part of the challenge is are the why are we seeing that in Orange County? So, 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 so as you mentioned, Orange County is part of. Uh, we're seeing the trends in Orange County as well. The labor force participation is not actually growing as fast as it used to. In fact, Orange County has kind of fallen behind a little bit the state of California, if you were to compare the two, which wow. is unusual because Orange County was always ahead of state of California. In the last twenty years, if you look at the data, uh, an opposite story is told. Well, things seem to have changed since the uh, since the recession and with the start of recovery. Now, there's reason for that. I mean, the crisis was a bit deeper in Orange County than in Southern California in general right. than it was for the state we're of California. kind of ground zero here. Right, for a right. Lot we that, were. Right? So, so that's part of that. Another part, of the big part is also that, and this, there isn't much you can do about it, is also demographic changes. So it's not growing as fast because you have more people retiring. Okay. And it's also true for Orange County. 
then you have, you know, joining the labor force. So basically you have this dichotomy where the demographics are shifting towards the older population. But that doesn't change the dynamic that we have nationally 3 million workers that are not working. And these are prime age, as we mentioned, prime age men. It's also true that... And again, some of this has to do with demographic. About half of this, half of a labor force participation can be explained by demographic changes, that okay. people are retiring okay. more so than they're joining the labor force. That's a structural issue right. with the country aging. Yeah, and there's nothing, I mean... There's nothing you can do about it. Other than short of immigration, immigration yeah. birth rate, right. also raising the retirement age, right. that could be another... So, right. But that, those are things we'd have to contend with no matter what. If anything, I would say the fact that we had the Great Recession sort of slowed that rate down because people had to stay in the workforce longer, right? Believe it or not, right? I mean, we were showing the report. I mean, if you look at the types of jobs that are created, I mean, there have been 10 million jobs created over the last five years nationally. Two okay. million going to the demographic between 16 and 24 years old. And this okay. is, you know, this is the, and there's in, this is in line with their population. Two million going to the prime age workers. Over five and a half million to the 55 plus. <laughs> so it's sort of, you can see how it's right. been a tough age for the prime age. That's how I sort of characterize it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough to be, especially prime age men. Right. I call it the trouble with men. But, but it, 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 and just to make it clear, it's not like these people are choosing. And we were having this conversation earlier in the studio. It's not they're choosing to stay home. It's just that it's getting so much harder. For the sets of skill that they bring, it's very hard. The type of new jobs that the new economy is now creating, the post-recovery, recession economy are, are not matching their sets of skills. Manufacturing and construction are gone. Probably for a good portion of those jobs, we'll never get back. Well, and when they come back, especially in manufacturing, they're technology-rich right. jobs. Right. They're, they're not pure labor. I mean, they're, they're, they're trades, but you have to have a certain education behind it Absolutely. to be able to, to understand the new equipment that's in the manu- in the modern manufacturing. Right. So there are jobs there, but there's a skill skills mismatch. Mismatch, absolutely. So they end up hiring people different than the people that did the job before the recession. You, you bring a great point. Uh, you know, if you look at the supply and demand of sort of what's out there in terms of jobs being advertised and the supply of under, unemployed workers, uh, if you look at the top five unemployed workers, the ratio of sort of job op- unemployed workers for job openings like 17 to 1 when it comes to low type low-skilled job, mostly men-type jobs, for example, in fishery, in farming, in, uh, in manufacturing is a bit better. It's 10 to 1. Still okay. 10, 10 unemployed people for one. In construction, is like 7 to 1. If you look at the high-tech jobs, which you were mentioning earlier, those are actually the supply, va- the, the sort of the demand vastly outstrips the supply. So you have, you, you basically are into the 0.2 ratio, which right. is, you know, high-tech, mathematical, sort of uh, high-skilled jobs are, are a lot more I mean, the demand and supply dis- um, imbalance doesn't even exist. Right, which which would lead me to a conversation that I would love to have with you some other time, and that is, can you address that through other means other than domestic policy, other than immigration, right? Because right. to me, I think you could solve part of that problem by by very carefully allowing people in this country who could who have those with the skills. higher skills, or we can or we can actually train the ones we have. But again, not everybody is going to want to be right. a college degree a bachelor degree owner right so so uh so you have so you have this dichotomy but there's things that we can certainly do that at least will retrain the current what i call construction workers and manufacturers Mm -hmm. uh, manufacturing workers that are out of a job to at least become more service provider maybe you can train to be an electrician a plumber that's why i'm also positive for for you know i think it's very important to put some real meat behind vocational schools for example i agree so that's one thing that we could certainly do right this is time for national, federal government, local, state government, and, yes. and educational institutions and businesses. And businesses to come to together. Partner together on a single point and put some en- energy into that and begin to bend this trend because this right. trend is only going to get worse. Because like you said, at 25, you're out of the job market. That's one thing. If you've been out for five or ten years, you are so out of date. Who will actually hire you? It's very would, difficult to get a job right. and be able to retrain. So I think that's th- those are those are things that I can see government sort of – government. Po- Policymakers kind of should take a stab, and these are harder things to do. Structural reforms are always harder to do than anything else than printing money, but they're the important things to do. And and I have an audio clip that I want to play with uh, um, Neil, uh, Dean Purry here, and it's going to take a couple of minutes, so I've got to leave time for that, even though I'm really loving this conversation. Sorry, Dean, I really like having me here in the studio, (laughs) but we, out of respect, and you gave us great content, too, we should play your audio, and I will, Paul. But first, that is what concerns me. In addition to what we talked about in relative employment, there are some 
basic structural issues that were going to happen in this country sure. anyway sure. that became we lost our focus on them through the recession. Yeah. And and you can start to blame the ghost of the recession on things that were happening anyway. Right. And, and I think we need people like you and writing reports like this for us to really let's talk about the facts and right. fix the facts, not any policy issues that whether that helped it or hurt it some of these are going to happen anyway right no no absolutely and that's and, and i think in a sense the recession kind of magnified some of these and it took over and like you said some of that fell on the wayside so you're not thinking about the human tragedies behind the three million people who are actually no longer in the workforce and probably not going to come back so it's time now now that the crisis point is behind us it's time now to take a deep breath regroup and start to see how we can actually help this labor force grow how we can actually bring these people back how we can retrain them so that's a huge scope the problem is that it doesn't sound very sexy to say th- i mean if you're a policy if policymakers right. kind of these yeah. things are less uh, yeah. less exciting right i mean right. you're doing the nitty-gritty work but that's exactly what needs to get done now let's hope from some of them might be even listening to this radio show or listen to us a podcast we're going to step away to my interview with um, dr puri i asked him three questions and we have a three or four minute interview that i'd like to play right now this was from the event that was held at the hotel uh, irvine uh, back in october so let's listen to the conversation this is rick franzi with critical mass radio show i'm at the 20th annual cal state fullerton economic conference and forecast i'm speaking with dean anil puri dean in the forecast you use the term pent up everything what is the significance of that term no the recession started in 2008 and for five years both businesses and households have suffered losses of income loss of wealth and now in the last two or three years the economy is starting to pick up employment is up from the started to hire but we still haven't reached a point of uh, optimum spending and investment. So there's a lot of pent-up demand for houses, for cars, durable that people postpone purchases of for some time. Businesses have not invested in some time because they've been waiting for the demand to come up. So we see a lot of pent-up demand in housing, in other uh, durable goods, and in uh, business investment. So I think that is what is going to drive the growth uh, going forward. I also noticed in your report that you suggest there are two outlooks, a brighter, short, and medium term, but a more challenged, longer term. Can you share with our audience why this may be the case? The short-term outlook is very bright, we believe. You know, we have been increasing jobs nationally at 212,000 a month, uh, which is a very good rate, and the momentum is picking up. There are more job openings. Uh, Business investment is, is up. There's going to be huge uptake, we believe, in business investment, and construction, multifamily especially, and single families picking up also. So short term, there are a lot of good things going. Consumer sentiment is up. So we believe that the near-term outlook is very bright. We also have challenges in the long term. Uh, household formation is down. There are a lot of geopolitical risks, whether it's Russia and Ukraine, or whether it's Middle East or China slowing down, or, or emerging economies not doing so well. So longer term, beyond the next two years, and the federal uh, uh, monetary policy is a big unknown, how that is going to unfold and how the economy is going to react to that. So I th- we see some risks longer term and some long-term structural issues that Congress has to work on and, and, and also households uh, need to work on. So we, we, that's why the sh- longer-term outlook is a little not as clear and perhaps not as bright as the short-term is. Okay, final question for you today, and I'm speaking with Dean and Neil Purry. In your most recent OCBX, the Orange County Business Expectation Survey, we saw an increase in Orange County firms that intend to add workers. What is this suggesting to you about the employment forecast for Orange County going forward? No, Employment Development Department of the State of California provides employment data, but usually that's very uh, summarized, very short, doesn't give enough information. So we conduct our own survey of business executives every quarter that provide detailed information on what they're thinking, what they're planning to do. So the latest reading that was done only a few weeks ago showed that businesses are again becoming more optimistic and they intend to hire more people, which is good news for the Orange County economy. Orange County unemployment rate has come down sharply to 5.1%, though that may be partly a reflection of the fact that labor force has not grown up very much, which means that people are sitting on the sideline, they're not getting back in the workforce. 
But as businesses start to hire, I think these people will start looking for jobs because they have opportunities available. And going forward, uh, economic growth for Orange County is going to pick up. Thank you for your time this morning. I look forward for the full uh, forecast at the conference coming up shortly. Thank you very much. All right, there you have it from both of the presenters at the annual economic update forecast. It was outstanding, well attended, uh, a must-attend event. I know that most of you in our listening audience who are lifelong learners already do participate, but tell some friends and bring more people. It's a, it's a great way to have lunch and learn at the same time. Uh, Dr. Farka, I have to thank you for being a part of the program. You're a great friend to us here at Critical Mass Radio Show, and we're going to have you back on the show in 2015, early in 2015, if that's okay Girl, with you. Absolutely. Thank you, Rick. I always enjoy being here. I always feel like we have, we have so much more to discuss. That's all. Every time you leave, I was like, well, I need more time with that woman. So we're going to work that out. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a, a short commercial break, and then we have Dr. Dean Waldman, author of The Cancer in Healthcare, How Greed is Killing What We Love. And we're going to continue the conversation that he and I had earlier this year as well about his book and his view of the American healthcare system. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these words. That actually... When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. that over 73% of consumer packaged goods and retail products fail miserably within their first year? Why? Because they find themselves in the pit of unawareness. You don't want to go there. Call me and I'll make sure that your packaging gets noticed. You know how I know? Because I'm the founder and creative director of MBN Design. We're one of Orange County's most established and trusted design firms. With over 20 years of experience, I can ensure that your brand will always stay new. Ask me how our packaging sold millions in months or see for yourself other success stories on our website at www.mbndesign.com. We're MBN because we're making brands new. Call 714-458-8701 and talk to me, Hector Garcia. That's myself. 714-458-8701. I'll be waiting for your call. UPS Protection has been protecting systems in the U.S. against brownouts, blackouts, and poor quality power for over 25 years. We provide power protection systems, including UPS, lighting inverters, generators, and service for clients from coast to coast. We specialize in solving all your power needs. As a direct reseller of the best brands in the industry, including Liebert, Powerware, and APC, we can solve all your power protection needs. Protecting your power is our main goal. We offer on-site or depot repair of our critical equipment. To better serve your budget constraints, UPS Protection also offers both reconditioned and new products. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to let you know that our audience is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show is the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of the program. And with our exclusive prospect engagement program, Critical Mass Radio Show delivers 23 warm prospects to each platinum advertiser every year. To learn more, contact Rose Chamora, 951 515 4661. That's 951 
515-4661. All right, as uh, many of you know, Dr. Dean Waldman was on our show earlier this year, and we got into such a great conversation, and I felt he had so much more to share that I wanted him to come back, and thanks for Crystal getting him back in the uh, studio here, at least on the phone. And Dr. Uh, Waldman wrote his second book, The Cancer in Healthcare, How Greed is Killing What We Love. Dr. Waldman, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. You know, I'm going to start right out. For those who may not have heard the first interview yet, just briefly tell us a little bit about the Cancer in Healthcare book, why you wrote it, and sort of what its message is. That's actually quite easy. Let me simply say you started or prefaced this by saying we're going to talk about my views about the healthcare system. And in a sense, of course, that's true. But I'd like to change the word view to diagnosis because what I'm doing is not exposing people to my opinions. I'm giving them, just the way a doctor would with a sick patient, what is wrong with this particular patient and what the book is is simply that diagnosis okay this is a sick patient healthcare what is wrong with healthcare what's the cause of healthcare's illness and that's what the book is about that's what the book tries to make sure everybody understands how we treat this patient is a decision that i think we and that's another part of the book i think we should make as a people as a group as a society and not have someone tell us what we should do about health care, specifically Washington. When you just said that, it leads me to my next question that I wanted to ask you because I have heard you compare the Bill of Rights and the effort it took to create the Bill of Rights as the similar as similar to the effort that's required to fix the health care system in the United States. Can, can you explain what you meant by that sure, statement? Sure. It, it sounds sort of, you know, esoteric or, you know, historical, theoretical. I actually was a history major in college, but... John Kerry was my roommate. Uh, not my roommate, my classmate. The problem with healthcare, as the book explains, is that it has cancer. Why does it have cancer? We can discuss what cancer in a system means, but why does it have cancer? Because it doesn't have the normal foundation, the normal healthy cells that support, if you will, the body. The analogy being this. This, this country has been through 236 years of of uh, 238 years of turmoil. And frankly, uh, we've had good times, we've had bad times. But what has kept us together, if you get down to it, the Declaration of Independence was a declaration of war. The Bill of Rights is what we are about as a people. It is the guts of, of what we all agree to, what we all want, what we all want for each other as well as ourselves. And what I'm saying is that health care doesn't have that set of principles that we need to have, we need to agree on before we can actually have a system that works. Is you know, people talk about health care as a right. Well, is it? What does it mean if you say it's a right? These are issues that we need to discuss rather than just sort of ignore. Today, all over the news is issues of what we're going to do with immigration and people who are here illegally. People have been here for 25, 30 years illegally. The question I ask is, okay, what should we as a society do about health care for people who are here illegally? And I don't want a knee-jerk response. I would like to have people discuss it argue about it, differ about it, hear each other's opinions, and then come to a consensus about what we should do with illegals. Uh, you may or may not know, you probably do, but I bet you your, your listening audience does not know that in universal health care countries, people who are in that country illegally are not part of their national system. Amazing. Well, now they do. I'm talking with Dr. Dean Waldman. Uh, he is many things, including an author. His latest book is The Cancer in Healthcare, How Greed is Killing What We Love. So I want to ask you a question. From your diagnosis, how, how do you believe our healthcare system in this country would change if we, the patients, had to pay our healthcare bills as done in other countries like Taiwan? Yeah, Taiwan is a good example, although Taiwan, frankly, is so small 
and doesn't have a number of the public health issues that we have, including, quite frankly, uh, the obesity and uh, illicit drugs, which are a major factor. But to uh, answer to your question, what would happen? What would happen is the, the costs of, of health care, the prices of health care, would plummet, absolutely plummet. I mean, we're talking about instead of seeing, you know, $20,000 for a hernia repair, you'd suddenly see $2,000 or $3,000 for a hernia repair. Well, uh, <laughs> suddenly health care would be affordable rather than this obscene uh, thing that nobody can afford. I mean, you have to be less than in the top 1% if you want to actually pay for your care if you include all the reasons why healthcare is so expensive, and as you know from reading the book, and I hope others will read the book, the reason that we are overspending is the cancer. This is an excellent conversation, and I'm so glad to have you back. As a matter of fact, we're going to take our our final commercial break here because I want to come back and dedicate the next segment to sort of where we left off last time, which is with this concept of avoided costs sure. as it relates to the healthcare system. So Dr. Dean Waldman, you stay right where you are. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We're going to be back in, in just a few minutes, and we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Dean Waldman after these words from our commercial sponsors. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. SNH Rubber is a manufacturing company in Fullerton, California. We specialize in custom molded, extruded, and stamped rubber parts. If your next job requires a rubber part, we would appreciate the opportunity to quote on it. We serve aerospace, automotive, and many other industries. We work with many types of rubber, including silicone, EPDM, neoprene, uninitrile, and viton. Our quality system is ISO and AS9100 approved. Over our 47 years in business, the SNH brand has become known for superior quality, quick turnaround, and competitive pricing. Please check out our website at www.shrubber.com or call 714-525-0277. Let SNH be your ceiling solution. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top 10 universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. Uh, I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Dr. Dean Waldman is our guest. I'd like to let you know that our listeners have downloaded over 18,000 episodes of the Critical Mass Radio Shows over the last 30 days. And I really appreciate your uh, growing and and continued support for the radio show. I think part of the huge increase in the downloads has been attributed to having our guests be far more engaged with the radio show, both before, during, and after. Amanda Pointer, who is our assistant producer, has been a key player and helping to keep you engaged in our shows. We really appreciate the fact that guests take the time to make their shows available to their communities. That's how we've grown our audience this large. Thank you. If you want to follow me on LinkedIn, I'm Richard Franzi. If you want to follow us on CE- on Twitter, we're CEO Peer Groups Podcasts. It's Critical Mass Radio Show. Go to your podcasting software, iTunes or whatever, type in Critical Mass Radio Show. You'll begin to automatically get our weekly, actually thrice weekly, three times a week, radio shows. All right, Dr. Waldman, we ended last time our show with you beginning to approach the concept of avoided costs as it relates to our healthcare system. Can you explain that in some detail for our audience, please? 
Yeah, that your audience will understand this, quite frankly, more than most. Specifically, if you think about the commercial world and business people, I mean, pretty much everybody has got machines and they spend money on preventative maintenance. Why? Because they will spend a little bit of money now, so they don't have to spend a hell of a lot of money replacing the machine. Same thing for the oil in your car. I mean, why do you uh, change the oil in your car so you don't have to spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars replacing the car? You'd rather spend 25 bucks just changing your oil. By the way, we'll get to avoid costs in a second. I've got a great example for you. But you don't expect your insurance to pay for your oil change. <laughs> yet, yet people expect their insurance to pay for their you know, routine uh, checkup. They have to, you have to ask yourself why. Anyway, you want a, a great example. I don't know if you've picked up on this, Rick, but a big deal on the Internet in the last, I don't know, three, six months has been screaming about the cost of a drug called Sovaldi, S-O-V-A-L-D-I. What it is, is it is the only cure, repeat word, cure, for hepatitis C. All the other treatments out there are palliative. They treat the symptoms and they make you feel better, but they don't actually cure the disease, which eventually causes your death. I mean, it may take 20 years, but eventually you die from liver failure or liver cancer because of the hepatitis C. So how much does Savaldi cost? A thousand bucks a pill, and the average course is 84 pills, so the average cost is $84,000, and people go, are you crazy? $84,000 for a bunch of pills? Well, I turn around and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Calculate your avoided cost. This is actually in the book, The Cancer in Healthcare, as other examples are about avoided costs. It's very important, which is, okay, how much does it cost to treat the symptoms and the signs of hepatitis C? Liver failure, as I said, patients who develop liver cancer. Well, you start adding it up, and it's hundreds of thousands to literally millions of dollars. So my question is, well, then wouldn't you want to spend 84000 and not spend a million? Right. The answer is obviously yes, and that's the avoided cost, and that's the calculation that people need to make about the financing in healthcare. Can I spend a little now so that I don't have to spend a hell of a lot later? It is. Thank you for explaining that. That was a very powerful example, and it is, it is um, surprising and somewhat disappointing to me how irrational our thinking is as, yes. it, as it relates to these issues in healthcare. We we don't have any adult thinking, it seems, any, any higher order thinking about yes. things that we yes. look at other things and very rationally can put the yes. same logic to. It's, yep. it's kind of strange. Uh, you know, I've read that over 30% of the U.S. doctors either cannot afford or refuse to accept Medicaid-insured Medicaid insured patients. From your point of view, is, is this a problem and why? Well, I'll answer that in about 10 seconds, but please note that no one is really reporting the number of Medicare doctors who can no longer afford to take care of patients who are covered by Medicare, and Medicare recipients, like me, vote. <laughs> A lot of the Medicaid-insured patients are children, and of course they don't, so their voice is sort of drowned out. Anyway, answer to your question, is it a problem? It's a huge problem. For example, in California, over 2 million people signed up under Obamacare for free insurance through the Medicaid system added to the Medicaid rolls, but 70% in the state of California of doctors can't afford to take care of, nationally it's in the 30% range, but can't wow. afford to take care of them because the reimbursement schedules are so low that, that if they fill up their roles with Medicaid patients, they can't pay their own nurses or their own electric bills, and they just go broke. Is it a problem? It's a huge problem. And so what happens is the two or three bad things. One, patients don't get care. Two, uh, even though they have, quote, insurance, end quote. Two, the reason that this is going on is because it helps promote our dependency or the perception of our dependency on Washington because the people 
who sign up for Medicaid actually, A, think their doctors are getting paid, and B, don't understand where the money's going that the doctors aren't getting, Mm -hmm. which is my sort of big point. In the book, I use this phrase. I was trying to be nice rather than really explosive. The phrase is bureaucratic diversion. Okay? (laughs) What the bureaucracy does is that it diverts dollars that are needed to pay for care, and instead it uses those dollars to pay for bureaucracy, administration, rules, regulations, review of hospitals, oversight, compliance, all these kinds of things are where your dollars are going that I want to see spent on children's dental care and on uh, grandma's checkup and so forth. Interesting. We're talking with Dr. Dean Waldman. We're just covering some of the content in his latest book, The Cancer in Healthcare, How Greed is Killing What We Love. You know, that question kind of sets me up for the next one that I wanted to ask you perfectly, your answer. I mean, you know, you recently wrote an article, which I saw on uh, American Thinker, where you explained how a single-payer system leads to underservice in healthcare. Can, can you kind of draw that story out for us sure that's simple one of the first things that everybody needs to understand and again you read the book so you know i make a big deal of this they talk about cutting costs but they really don't cut costs because nobody i repeat nobody knows the cost of anything in healthcare the way they know the cost of of a sweater or a car or uh, almost uh, a dry cleaning service you know the disposables and you know the labor costs and you add them all up and that's the cost of whatever it is nobody does that in healthcare so when the government says it's cutting costs what it's doing is it's cutting spending on a specific thing uh, a service a product whatever well so it's cutting spending so in a single payer system when they have a specific budget and they say all right the budget allocation for this year is in this in this country I'll make it up 2 trillion dollars by the way the latest data shows that that 2.7 trillion that uh, everybody was aghast at is going to be 3.4 trillion uh, we're spending on healthcare Deloitte just came out with that anyway let's say it's 2 trillion and they and it's a single payer system and they're going to cut costs cuz we ain't got 2 trillion dollars to spend what happens they ration care And, for example, they'll do what they do in Great Britain right now, which is they'll say, okay, people over the age of 55, in people over the age of 55, uh, kidney dialysis is not, quote, cost-effective, end quote, and we won't pay for it. And so anybody who's 56 or older who has kidney disease and can't afford to pay for his own dialysis in Great Britain dies. And that's what the Independent Payment Board is scheduled to do here in this country. So I am, as a physician, terrified of the whole idea of single-payer because what it's going to do is central rationing of healthcare goods and services. We are just skimming across the pond of this content, sir, and you're doing a great job of giving us the, the, the headlines, if you will. The meat is in the book. The Cancer in Healthcare, How Greed is Killing What We Love by Dr. Dean Waldman. I, I only have time, unfortunately, for one more question for you today here on Critical sure. Mass Radio Show. And, I, you know, I know you're, we talked about this last time you were on, you're on the board of the New Mexico Health Insurance Exchange, and you have firsthand knowledge of how the Affordable Care Act is being implemented, in at least in your state, and I know you're sensitive to what other states are doing. So can yeah. you just share with us, here we are, you know, kind of next year, what's going on relative to how the state are working through the issues associated with the Affordable Care Act? The quick answer, unfortunately not a happy one, which is Washington keeps changing the rules. The goalposts keep moving. And so uh, literally once a week we get an advisory, oh, well, you have to use a different form for this eligibility, or you have to check verification of citizenship this way, or the font on uh, your web, I'm serious. The font on your website has to be this, and I'm going, what the hell? I mean, this is micromanagement taken to an extreme. Yet that's what's happening. So this is sounds like an excuse, but the truth is, we are trying desperately to set up 
an insurance exchange here in New Mexico that actually people can understand. We won't discuss the cost for a moment. We'll just say understand the damn thing. And they keep changing the rules and regs on us. So it has been a devil of a time. And every other state who has chosen to do this has the same problem. Dr. Dean Waldman, the time flies by when you're on the program. I appreciate your willingness to come back a second time here on Critical Mass Radio Show to share a little bit more in some areas about what you're focused on and how you're trying to help educate the conversation we have in this country about our health care yeah, system. exactly. Thank you. For- I want us to have a conversation, and all I'm trying to do is get people to understand the concepts and what's really going on, and then let's talk to each other. So if someone wants to buy your book, and I strongly advocate they do that, how do they find it online? It's, it's really easy. Just go to my website, and you can click the, the icon. The website is D-E-A-N-E. Waldman, W-A-L-D-M-A-N dot com, and they should do it that way. You can get it on Amazon and other places, but you can do it. Uh, I recommend going to DeanWaldman dot com with the E in the middle because the book just won this big award, and so the publisher is putting it on special sale, so people who go to buy the book soon can get it at a price that's even lower than Amazon, so um, it's not very expensive. So well, I mean, I'm, I'm not in this to make money, I'm in this to get the ideas out to people. And your website has a lot of other content that relates to yes, your first books on there. article that you mentioned on single-payer and, and things about, there's one I'm just coming out with uh, tomorrow, which is the difference between an informed consumer and a smart shopper. Which one do we want? Wow. I can't wait to read that. I'll be definitely checking that. Uh, thank you again for being a friend of the program and a part of our community. I really value it's your It's my great pleasure. I enjoy talking to you. Thank you, Dr. Dean Waldman. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the goal for the show is to help you, our listening audience, to uh, make better, more informed business decisions. I think both our first guest, Dr. Mira Farka, and our second guest, Dr. Dean Waldman, gave great content and something for you to consider and think about and hopefully continue to learn about and explore. This show wouldn't be possible without our advertisers, Brandman University, Center Club, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, SNH Rubber, Succession Strategies, our longest tenured sponsor, Tone Software, and UPS Protection. Our engineer for today is Paul Roberts, our producer, Crystal Nunley, our assistant producer, Amanda Pointer, who I mentioned earlier in the show. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard, marketing strategist and live events manager is Asia Celestino. Our social media manager is Melissa Pedanti. Rose Jamora is our VP of Sales. If you're free tomorrow night, Cal State Long Beach is hosting a panel discussion that I am moderating. We're talking about how to create an engaged employee culture. If you'd like to learn more about that, contact me, Rick Franzi, at rfranzi at, at criticalmathsforbusiness.com. You can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Richard Franzi, on Twitter. We're CEO Peer Groups. And your podcasting software, type in Critical Mass Radio Show. And you can get all of our shows each week. If you'd like to learn more about our business, Critical Mass for Business is our website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Well, until our next show, which is tomorrow, uh, this is your host, Rick Franzi, saying I hope all of your decisions move your business in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 